If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. You know, uh, welcome guys to yet another episode. We've had three races done and there's a bit of a gap before the fourth race happens. On this episode, I have a very special guest uh, by the name of William Punisi. Uh, you know, he currently works uh, with Alfa Romeo, but I've known him several years ago, you know, since we worked uh, back in time with what you guys know as uh, the Force India Formula One team. And, you know, I've been calling him Will P because there used to be two Williams in the marketing team back then. So I'm going to just stick to calling you Will P. Hi, Will P. It's great to have you. Hi, Kunal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a great start to, to the season. And, you know, hats off to all you guys and Formula One specifically, you know, all the stakeholders for pulling off, uh, you know, a race despite the ongoing pandemic. And I assume you must have been tested several times over by now. How how is the whole COVID testing going for you? Uh, well, let's let's just say it's not my favorite part of the race weekend. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's not painful per se, but it's um, it's pretty um, annoying and it's uh, it's it's not the best experience. Yeah, I wouldn't do it for fun. <laughs> it's a small price to pay when when you consider that we're finally able to bring the sport back. Uh, if you told us like in, uh, in, in April or so during the break, um, we really wouldn't have known when we'd be able to go racing again. And now, you know, the season is in full swing and, you know, we're racing. We're finally again talking about cars on track <laughs> rather than all the things that are preventing us from racing. So it's, it's, it's good to be back. Yes, it's good to be back and it's great to have you because, you know, uh, over all these years that, you know, I've been hosting the podcast, we get a lot of questions of how it's to actually work in Formula One, how it's to work with the Formula One team. And, you know, I'm going to use this opportunity to ask you all these educational questions. But, uh, you know, I'm, I, there are two questions that we should just start off with. The first thing is, what do you actually do at Alfa Romeo? So I know that very well, but it would be great for you to explain it to our listeners as well. Well, basically, I'm the senior communication manager. That's my official uh, official title, and and what that means in practice is that together um, with my colleagues, uh, we're running the the whole media office for the team and for the company at large. Because obviously, uh, back in uh, uh, Sauber, the organization that, that runs the Alfa Racing Online team, we have a lot more than just the racing or engineering. You know, aerodynamics and, and a lot of more activities. But Formula One-wise, basically what I'm taking care of is making sure that all the media requests are, are you know, collected, taken taken into account, and then we organize the media schedules for the driver at the race, uh, the communication for the team, all the press releases going out. They all come to our office, 
we work very closely with the, both the racing side, the drivers, team management, engineers to, to get that kind of information. But we also work very closely with the rest of the company, um, those who are dealing with, uh, with our partners, those who are dealing with the, our customers, um, in making sure that all the right information goes out and gets disseminated in the most effective way possible. Um, it's, a, it's a busy job. Uh, it keeps me very occupied both when we're back at a factory and when we're trackside, but it's, uh, it's good fun. Yeah, you know, and the minute you say you work in media and the fact that we know that Kimi Raikkonen is one of your drivers for 2020, as we all know, and, you know, much as we hope that he's around in 2021 as well, one of the main questions that came across was, how is it to work with Kimi Raikkonen, especially on the media side of the team? It's actually, and this may sound surprising, but it's extremely easy. <laughs> Kimi is, uh, is an incredible professional and, you know, having, I've been working in Formula One for so long before I actually got to work with him. You know, I was always looking up to him, looking at the, the way um, he did things. Uh, and, you know, it's the sort, sort of, you know, professional you always want to work with because, you know, he's got charisma, he's got so much experience and even in this work with, his, with the media, you can see that he's been around the block quite a few times. He's, he's, he's such a such a you know experienced driver. Um, it's it's well known that that is not the favorite part of his race weekend, uh, working with the media. But at the same time, he's extremely professional, and he'll, uh, he'll he'll do what is best for the team, which is all that we can ask a driver. Um, it's it, it's just great to work with him, you know. And um, I think sometimes he's, um, he's very outspoken, um, which is a great advantage and is something that is incredible um, for drivers nowadays. But he does so always with a with a aim of improving things and he will just see things as they are, which is, uh, again, is something we can just give him credit for. Yeah, I, and, you know, I pretty much love attending all his media sessions and, I can tell you, given that I've probably attended sessions with all the teams, the ones that are most popular are the ones with Kimi. And, uh, you know, I've seen it from this side of the mic. But, you know, any specific anecdotal experiences, any fun moments that, you know, you've had with Kimi that you could actually share with us and we could probably have some more laughs? Well, I think some of the most... Uh, uh, the biggest man, the memories I'm the most fond of in, in, in working with him is, is when we've got those, you know, doesn't happen often, but there's, there's a few interviews that are just breaking the mold and, and they're not asking uh, the same questions. That, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, I know why media are often asking the same questions because you get little time with a driver, you just want to know, you know, about the sessions, about always doing on track but sometimes you get media that manage to ask him about something different you know is whether it's about like his motocross team or you know the time he spent at home with his family is he's a huge family man and and then you really get like a different kind of Kimi coming through uh he's um he's talkative he's got an incredible sense of humor uh which is something that sometimes doesn't come through in in, in the regular interviews and it's just like a, a very, very engaging 
character and to see him smile to, uh, as recounts uh, anecdotes from uh, from his life away from the track uh, is just an incredible way to experience skimming. You know, it's, it's been a revelation since I worked on it. I, I can imagine, and you know, I can I know that he's probably the the uh, most legendary world champion driver you worked with because. Back in Force India, of course, we had a lot of younger talent. We had the likes of Paul Resta, Adrian Suttle, Hulkenberg, Checo, uh, you know, even Esteban Ocon. I'm sure you, you've worked with all these drivers. But I, I guess the charisma that Kimi stands out with is something very different and very appealing to fans globally, right? That's something that just sticks with him wherever he goes. I think, I think you, you're right there. I mean, not to take anything away from the drivers that uh, yeah. in the past, you got somebody like uh, Sergio Perez. Uh, the, the, the following he has, especially in Mexico, is something incredible. Uh, he's got, he's got obviously he's got a fan base uh, of an incredible scale. Wherever you go, wherever race you are, in whichever corner of the world you are, you can be sure there will be people with banners, people with shirts, people you know chanting his name. He's just a and just a superstar on a on a on a different scale, and uh, I think you know his persona, his charisma, it's it's all that contributed to creating like this this incredible character that people love so much. And it's um, you know it's, it's it's a privilege to be to be able to be a bit of a part of that story. I, I can imagine, and the one thing I'm going to keep chasing you is to try and get Kimi on the show at some point. And then hopefully we can, you know, try and extract some of the humor. I know he's probably the busiest uh, driver when it comes to the number of media requests you get. So I can totally imagine, you know, how swamped he must be time and again. But uh, I will definitely try. Oh, thank you. That's kind of you. <laughs> I have you on record. Not that, you know, I would have believed you otherwise. But um, you know, how is it for you to work in Formula One? It's been, I know you spent about six and a half years at Force India. That's when we first met. And now, you know, you're, you're building forward your career with uh, Alfa Romeo. It's, it's been almost eight odd years since you've been in the paddock. How, how is it to work in Formula One for you? Um, I, I, would, I would say um, it's just like any other job, but I'd be lying. Um, it is not, and uh, um, yes, it does become like a job. Um, you wake up in the morning, and sometimes you you'd rather stay in bed or just enjoy a day with your family. But at the same time, you know, sometimes I have to take a step back and realize like how incredible it is to be able to be in this world which I dreamt since I was a, a child. Uh, some of my first memories growing up uh, I must have been like three, um, so back in, in the time when TVs was a lot grainier. Um, out of me, like, you know, watching Formula 1 races or, you know, trying to collect little model cars uh, and, and racing them, you know, age like three or four. And, and I've always wanted to be in, in this world and, and to be able to, to be now nearly a decade um, in this world, like experiencing it, you know, seeing the races, seeing behind the scenes, working in the factory, it's incredible. It's incredible. It does not get old. Um, if anything, it gets even better because Formula One is, um, is a very complex sport. And um, 
it's not as intuitive if you want as any other sport that you can, you know, turn on the TV and within five minutes, you know, everything is working, you know. I mean, I, I was a football player, but yeah, football, you, you, you can put somebody who's never watched football in front of the TV and they sort of figure out that, you know, it's about kicking the ball into the net and <laughs> just kick the ball in the arms. Um, Formula One, yeah, you can enjoy just seeing cars going around and whoever gets first from A to B wins. But the more you know it, the more you know the intricacies on even even not just not just the racing intricacies about strategies about engineering and so on, but even like the aspects that are away from the racing, like the logistics of getting the show up twenty two times a year, yeah. every corner of the world. The more you know about this, the more fascinating it gets, and the more you you're almost in awe about the people that make it happen. Um, you're lucky enough to to be working with some of the brightest minds, whether it's engineering, whether it's like mechanics, whether it's like um, pure science, um, possibly on the planet. Um, surely, you know, people that can be compared to um, scientists sending rockets into space in terms of the, the knowledge and the ability and the skills. And, and that part of the job is extremely gratifying. Um, sometimes it's a bit intimidating uh, because you always, you know, question yourself and uh, you wonder whether you're good enough for the job. You look at all these people that speak like so many languages and got so many uh, <laughs> skills and PhDs and, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's really gratifying to know that you're there, you're all being your own, you're trying to do the best you can in this extremely fast-paced, extremely high-quality world. So it's great both from a personal point of view, because it's all what you always wanted to do, but it's also great from a professional point of view, because it's really challenging you every day. Um, and you know it, you know it, you've been in as well um, the same rivalry that teams have on track uh, we also have off track and you know some of my best friends in Swarla in the other press office uh, and, uh, in, in the other teams uh, and we also challenge each other we want to have the best press releases we want to have the, the, the coolest content that we create so it's really stimulating from that side because every day even though the race weekends are similar to each other, but every day is a new challenge. You hardly ever get bored in this job. Yeah, and I think, I, I think the way you explained it was very good, especially with the whole personal and professional gratification that, you know, you'd go back with, despite knowing you're going to do the same thing 22 times a year and, and the likes. And you mentioned, you know, you, you were watching Formula One since you were three years old. And did you ever have the aspirations to become a racer or did you always want to get into the management side of things in, in the sport? No, I think, I think my journey has been uh, taking different directions. So obviously, when, when you're little, you want to be the guy behind the wheel. Uh, <laughs> I desperately wanted to be a Formula 1 driver. I remember like arranging the chairs in my, in my bedroom uh, to look like a Formula 1 car and I was sitting in there and it was even before I had video games about it. And I, I just wanted to be a racer. Um, then, you know, obviously the reality kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, even before the money, I was probably lacking the talent <laughs> to, to make any inroad in, uh, in motorsport as a, as a racer. 
So, I mean, I've all, but I still wanted to be part of this world. I, I considered, you know, studying to become an engineer and realized that, you know, I was dealing with words a lot better than I was dealing with numbers. So I sort of adjusted my aim uh, working as a journalist or working in a press office. And um, I think uh, touching on what I was saying before, everybody in this world is, is, is so skilled they really, you need to harness like the best of your capabilities if you want to, you know, make it in here. And um, for me, um, you know, I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, but I think what I'm doing is what I'm best at. And I definitely would not be a, a great engineer and definitely would not be a great driver. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can, I can so relate to a lot of these stories given that, you know, uh, we spent so much time together at Force India and, uh, you know, but the one question that, you know, I've, I've been asked all the time, okay, how is it to, you know, work on weekends? Is, is that something that's bothered you? They, they keep asking, you know, how, how are you managing family time and, you know, what do you do on weekdays and the likes? But I'm sure for you, weekends is just very normal if you go racing, right? Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I used to, I used to be, a footballer and you know I, I used to do sports since I was uh, you know five years old so the weekends were always something uh, some days in which you were doing something you know whether you're playing football or going to a competition or uh, you know the moment I started working even since I was like 16 I was working in sport events uh, and then you know it's like you know Saturday and Sunday you're on some athletics field or on a pool or you know, you're working um, so obviously there was never the scale of what a, a Formula 1 championship is, is, is going to be um, but yeah it, it, becomes, it becomes your new normal obviously things change as your life progresses um, stuff that you were doing you say when you were single and you had all the time in the world um, changes once you know start getting a family i i had a baby uh, a year ago uh, so now you know the, the perspective that you have on life and everything changes a lot uh, the way you're looking at you know the time you spend away um you uh, you feel in a different way and you know thank heavens for facetime um because uh, that, that sort of allows you to still be in touch with your family but you know it's, it's not the easiest part and while on the one hand, uh, I love traveling, I love, you know, going to new places and getting to, to see um, new venues. And, and, and the, the part of the work we do trackside is extremely gratifying because it's fast-paced, it's exciting, it's energetic. At the same time, you know, it comes with a few downsides, which is all the time you spend away from, from home, from the people you love. I can imagine, you know, a cramped calendar in 2020 means... You've spent three weeks away from home and from your family just to sort of keep doing what you love to do and, you know, delivering a great spectacle for all of us. So hats off to all you guys. You know, I, I, I did that for a very little time. But the fact is, you guys have been doing it now, like you said, in your almost in your 10th year in Formula One. But, uh, you know, one of the things that has always come across is for people who want to work in Formula One, they keep wondering, what did you do actually before Formula One that you sort of became eligible 
for the Formula One job. So do you, can you touch upon what, what were you actually doing before you built your profile and you sort of made yourself so interesting that you were hired at Force India? Well, I, I think I went to a fairly regular, regular for most people. I went to uni. Uh, I knew sort of what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to work in media. So I did like study communication and then I went on to have an MA in, uh, in international journalism. So obviously my, um, my qualifications, my education was aiming uh, a job in, in, in this level, but it's not by any means necessary. I know plenty of people that go here through different ways. And I cannot speak for engineers or, or so, because obviously that you need some very specific skills um, in this special courses. But for me, there was nothing in education that specifically said motorsport. Um, there was a huge passion. There was the never missing an F1 race uh, in, uh, on TV. There was trying to you know, go and see testing, go see races where possible. But there was nothing specific in medication to say, like, oh, the guy is going to go work in motorsport. And in the beginning of my career in sport was not with motorsport. I loved sports since I was tiny. Um, I just loved the, the experience. So I, as early as when I was 16, I was working in summers. Um, I come from originally from Milan in Italy and um, plenty of sport events that take, took place there. And I remember my first major sport event was the um, canoe and kayak um, world championships that were in my city. I mean, I had no experience about the sport whatsoever, but just the, the atmosphere and the, the, the way that the, just the events were run was so thrilling and so engaging and so you know, addictive that I got out of that three weeks working at that event and was like, this is what I want to do for life. I want to be a sport event. I want to be in this world. And the way I know is to do media, to do journalism, to do reporting, to do media ops. Um, so yeah, once I finally finished my education, that's what, you know, what I was looking for a job uh, in. And, um, at first, I did, you know, the, the best thing and the main recommendation that I would have for everybody is to try to get some experience because, unfortunately, demand and supply is a problem, you know. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of people that want to be in this world and there's no one in enough jobs. So what can set you apart is having the experience, getting, getting some, some experience. It's, a lot of the people would be entry level. So if you have something more. And for me, that was um, uh, volunteering in, um, in sports federations um, and trying to get a job there just to get some experience, you know, writing press releases, running media operations at events. I started in Wales with the gymnastics. Uh, I, you know, I like the sport of gymnastics, but I cannot say that I was an expert. Um, but, you know, you... you so long as you, you're a skill writer and you're willing to put the effort, you, you can learn about it and you can sort of find a way. From there, I moved into track and field athletics, um, still with the Welsh Federation, working also with the UK Federation. And, um, and from there, things took a, a, 
sped up a little because obviously the Olympics in 2012 were coming to London. So there was a lot of attention and investment in sports in the UK. I came to India for the Commonwealth Games with the Welsh team. Um, so it's all that experience that you get at major events, dealing with the media, dealing with teams uh, that are usually transferable skills. Um, the fact that you're dealing with an athlete that just ran 100 meters uh, or a gymnast who just finished their rotation um, at the at the even bars uh, doesn't matter uh, really. You know, so long as you know what you're doing and how to approach a sportsman, you can move from one sport to the other. So this, this is all I built my experience. And then, you know, very prosaically, I saw an ad on Autosport uh, saying that uh, Force India was, was looking for, um, uh, for somebody to work in the press office. And, you know, actually it was a friend of mine who sent me the link and said, like, you know, isn't, isn't this what you do? I mean, you love Formula One, why don't you do this? And I jumped on it. <laughs> I went there. I, I was over the moon just with getting an interview. I got to see the factory, I got to see the cars, and I, I, you know, I was trying my best not to look too starry-eyed and <laughs> child in a candy shop kind of look. Because <laughs> I wanted you know, to show that you know, I'm a professional, you know, I know how to do this job. I don't just want to do it because I'm a huge fan, even though I was a huge fan. <laughs> and, and yeah, this, this, is, this is how it started. And, you know, it was back in 2012 um, that I went for the, my interviews. It was late in the year, October, November. And, um, and I remember I, I, I was working in Qatar at the time. And I just landed uh, at Doha Airport and I just got off the, uh, of the airport. I was in a taxi and I got the call. Uh, from HR for senior saying that I got the job and when can you start it? I didn't say like, you know, just give me time to book some tickets <laughs> and, and I can do this. And it was literally, it was something I never, never, ever expected in my wildest dreams. I, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, you've taken your time to explain this because it's so important to not just think Formula One, you know, and, you know, I, every time I get a query, I keep telling people what you just said build on to your transferable skills, you know, whether you work with a sports person in a different sport or with a brand or a sponsor that's completely, you know, in a different regard, uh, you know, within the sports environment, it doesn't matter. Because, you know, eventually uh, building onto your skills, building onto your experience, and then sort of making sure that when and if an opportunity comes, and like you said, you know, the demand and supply is extremely skewed in, you know, in the world of Formula One, so, you, you know, when, when the opportunity comes, you sort of at least have uh, the basic prerequisites to turn around and say, hey, I know my job. I've done this with several other sports and I'm really good at it and I'm a big fan. And, you know, can I, can I go and, you know, do the same thing for a Formula One team? So I'm, I, I must thank you for explaining it in such great detail. And, you know, when you were explaining the whole, uh, whole uh, episode of your landing in Qatar and then getting a call, it just reminded me of the same situation that I had, you know, when I had my first couple of rounds of uh, interviews, uh, you know, uh, for Force India. And it was so easy to get very sporting about the conversation because that's what we do as fans, right? We'll talk cars, we'll talk overtakes. But then suddenly you, you know, you have to put on a different hat where you think of the sport as a business. And, you know, that's another important uh, 
quality that people need to have, uh, you know, when they are looking to work in, in a sports team or, or within any sport for that matter, that you stop being a fan and then you put on, you know, this management or marketing or communications hat. So it's, it's very well explained. And I, I must, uh, you know, thank you one more time for doing that because anytime somebody asks me this, I'll say, go hear what will be had to say, you know, it's, it's a, it's very well said, but you know, mo- moving on to um, a race weekend and, you know, you, you, you got, you've had several of these in, in your career. What's the one highlight for you usually on a race weekend? Or what's the one moment that you are waiting for uh, to happen almost, you know, uh, every weekend? Uh, it's funny you ask this because uh, most of the stuff I will be doing and, and the stuff I, I look forward to the most uh, is before even more, uh, most of the people following every weekend will even turn on their TVs. Because uh, uh, f- for me personally, the biggest day of a race weekend is Thursday. Uh, it's media day, that's where most of my effort go for, for the rest of the weekend. I always like to joke then when the cars hit the track on Friday for the first practice session, I can chill back and relax. <laughs> because yeah, Thursday is, a, is an extremely busy day. The run-up to it is, is hectic because we have to plan all the schedules for the whole weekend. We have to plan um, which interviews are going to take place and where and you know, what they're going to talk about. Um, not just the drivers, but you know, also deal with the media for, for the team principal, for the technical director, all other senior personnel in the media track. Um, we, we plan everything, we organize everything, we, we talk with the media to, to, to get engaged. And then when we finally get to the track on Thursday, it's a matter of briefing the drivers on how the day is going to look like, what are the big topics that you know, they're likely to receive answer, uh, questions on, um, preparing them so that you know, they don't feel uh, at an ease during even uh, an interview. And just then relentlessly going through this very, very packed schedule um, in between an engineering meeting and the others because we always have to balance the needs of the media side with the fact that they have to prepare a race weekend and the engineers need time from them. They've got to prepare the plan for the weekend. Um, And then it's pretty much from on a Thursday, on a regular weekend, we hit the track at 8 in the morning, we leave at 11 p.m., and I'm pretty much been on my feet all the time, just running around, organizing, making sure that all the things we have in our schedules are taken care of. So that is definitely the, the highlight of the day. Whenever you see interviews with the drivers on Friday or on Saturday or in the run-up to the race, that are usually the result of all the work we've done on Thursday with the media to prepare this content. So, you know, that these highlights more from um, someone who's extremely passionate about the sport in the rest of the weekend, you know, seeing the cars go out on the back on Friday in, when we went to Austria for the first race of the season, it was incredible because especially with all the weight and um, it felt even more like finally we're back and we're racing. So you see the car go out and something switches in your brain and you really get into season mode. Um, the race, the start, uh, the finish, the, the media pen afterwards when we have interviews after qualifying the race, those, those are very like high-tension moments 
and the feeling that you have when you go through those and everything is going to plan is, is a massive, incredible feeling. Uh, but yeah, my, my personal highlights is, is getting a, a Thursday well done without major problems. Everything's gone to plan. Drivers are happy. Media are happy. Team principal is happy. There's, there's all you can ask for. Really. You know, I, I have to share this with uh, our listeners. I have been involved in what Will be talking about, creating the one A4 page schedule, which everyone lives by for pretty much the Thursday. And it's the most comprehensive A4 you can actually find. And I, I'm sure you can, you'll agree with me on this. It'll tell you who's going to be there at what time, where is it going to happen, who are you going to meet? And most importantly, I, I, I used to love this part. What are you supposed to wear at that point? Exactly. I was going to say that. <laughs> and and this, it, it's about removing any possible uh, you know, questions about what's going to happen on that particular Thursday. And I must tell you, you know, uh, I used to love that format so much that you know, after I left Force India and I joined uh, Star Sports, the broadcasting channel, to work on uh, the Kabaddi League, uh, that, that was the one thing I implemented there, which is how do you get the perfect schedule out so everyone knows what their role is at what time. So, uh, you know, I, I can totally imagine how much fun it is when you just manage to get all of that right in the first instance. No, it's absolutely, it's a, it's a hugely rewarding feeling. And, and, I have to, to say, it's definitely not a, a one person's job. Yeah. There's so many people that have input in this, uh, in, in this schedule, from the engineers with the engineering plans, marketing, uh, media, um, even, even you know, uh, logistics with travel plans. You know, when are the drivers landing? You know, are we going to have all the personnel? It takes a degree of coordination with the other teams because... Um, while our drivers are a scarce resource with, with a limited amount of time, so are media. You know, you, you may have like one broadcaster, it still has to cover 20 drivers and 10 teams. So you really have, it's almost like a game of Tetris trying to fit everything that fits the drivers, the team, the broadcasters, the other teams. Um, it's, it's, it's a monumental effort. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of thought and, uh, and attention that goes into that. So, again, it's one of the reasons why once you get to a, a nice Thursday and everything's gone well, you really can pat yourself on the back. Uh, not that the job is not over, but at least you know that the, the, the big ones are big away. Yeah. I think the Tetris reference is very interesting because I was just thinking back that you almost never hear a no when a request is sent out. You know, teams are always trying to figure how do you make sure you give a 10-minute slot or a 5-minute slot to pretty much get all the media requests through to the weekend. And I'm sure all of this comes with a lot of intricate planning that, you know, happens, like you said, way before you actually reach the country weekend and especially on the Thursday. But then this leads me to a very opposite question. What's your most boring part during a Grand Prix weekend? Or is there even a boring part? It's very hard to tell one uh, boring part of the weekend. Um, I don't think there is actually one. Um, <laughs> there's, um, you know, obviously, you know, there's some stuff you have to do. 
um, that is not the most enjoyable. Um, and in the end, it's still still a job. You still have to do it. I mean, you want to make sure, for example, that you know all all the branding is in place. It's not something um, that that really really um, set the words on fire. But it's still, it's an important job, and you need to you need to do it. Um, that's a, that's probably the, the hardest question you you got me so far. I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's anything really boring okay so i'm, I'm sometimes the flying to and fro <laughs> <laughs> where thankfully you're just seated or asleep and somebody's doing the the job of taking you through but uh, but what what is the most annoying uh, question that media keeps asking you time and again just so that i know not to cross you the wrong way the next time <laughs> um I don't. I don't think you know. There's obviously some topics that sometimes you don't want to talk about. You, you can't ignore it. If if people keep asking, it's because it's an important topic, and you have you have to face it. You know, I'm sure that uh, you know I've been through experiences in the past. Uh, not naming names, but you know, in which there were like tension between the drivers, and obviously that becomes a big story. People want to talk about it, and it's not something you want to talk about. You can't do much about it. You have, you have to buy the bullet. And as a professional, you want your team to be as prepared as possible to, um, to, to answer that question in the best possible way. So you, you prepare briefing, you prepare information about uh, how the media has covered the, that question, the specific topic until then. So all you can do in that case is is um, is uh, is try to prepare whoever's getting that question in the best possible way. Um, you also have to sometimes deal with the media and be honest with the media. You know, you um, just as we try to be as open as possible, they have to stick with the uh, with the topics. That we, if you're asking me a question, uh, an interview. To talk about you know the next uh, couple of races, uh, um, I'm not vetoing any question because you know it's, it's a right to ask questions. But I want you to you know if you tell me is that um, you stick to that topic of the interview, you don't start talking uh, about something that we haven't agreed or some topics that we you know maybe make uh, people uncomfortable. But the, the, one of the positives in being in this sort of kind of closed world is that we build a relationship with the media. We build a relationship with everybody else. So we know we have to work with each other um, for, for a long time and for the foreseeable future. So there's a huge amount of respect. Um, we, we try not to cross any boundaries, not to, um, to act in an unfair way with anybody. And, and everybody sort of lives by these... Uh, unspoken or well, unwritten code of conduct, which is one of the beautiful things of this world. I think uh, in, in so many years, I cannot point out a single time in which somebody broke this, this sort of this covenant. That's actually uh, true because it's such a close-knit uh, community after all. And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's built on a lot of respect and a lot of mutual understanding. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of your toughest uh, times being a media and communications officer came, you know, just before when Force India was, you know, in, in, in the problems that it was before it became Racing Point. 
and the likes. And, you know, those situations are probably the toughest. But this, of course, takes me back to all the lovely memories we've shared, you know, at, uh, at Force India, whether it was to do with the, the new website, you know, we launched or the social media we were handling or the fun uh, moped rides, uh, you know, with the drivers at the, Br- at the British Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I should I, I should play this clip for Nishreen and ask her what her memories were back then. But no, it, it, it's exciting times. And you know, the one thing I haven't experienced, of course, is working in uh, Formula One, especially with a team uh, after it changed, uh, you know, ownership from Bernie Eccleston to Liberty Media. And do you see a, a, a stocking difference, a, a differences that you can, you know, sort of play? You have a, you have much more of a playing field now, given how Liberty Media has approached the whole, uh, you know, the, the business with such a science. Um, obviously, I, I'm talking from a communication point of view, uh, and um, you know, not wanting to take anything away from previous ownership. Uh, who did so much to grow Formula One into a, a global sport, uh, into every corner of the world, and, and creating great stars of, of the drivers and the teams themselves. I think uh, I think there's a lot more of a focus on media and communication since the new ownership. One of the things we felt is a lot more openness to ideas, uh, um, also coming from the team, so bottoms up. Um, so from, from that perspective, it's very exciting because you know if you've got an SED, uh, they, they will be there to listen to you, to maybe help you um, because they know that you know, teams communicating to the world eventually result in a stronger sport altogether. Um, it's, no, it's not a, a zero-sum game. It's not because I'm doing great communication that damages the sport or damages other teams. In the end, if we all work together, if we all promote the sport individually and as a whole, then Formula One you know, grows in profile and it becomes a sport that people really, really engage with. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm sure the one big difference that we've all seen is how you know, the embracing of social media and the magic it can do for the sport. And, you know, are you usually the guy who ends up doing most of the tweets, all the fun stuff uh, on the Alfa Romeo racing handle? No longer, no longer, no, no. I've, uh, I've, I've done it uh, on the Force India handles for six and a half years. I remember, yes. I have now passed the button on... Uh, there's, there's an extremely skilled digital guy in, uh, in uh, the team here at Afro-Norris in Holland, um, and he's doing a brilliant job, lots of interesting content. I, I do miss it sometimes, yeah. uh, because I had a, a great time doing it, uh, and we, we really built a, a huge engaging platform for the fans from all over the world. Uh, um, everybody was bringing something in. It was genuinely building relationship with fans uh, that, that endure to this day. Um, you know, it depends over time just interacting with the, with the team's accounts. Um, you know, now, now I miss that part, but I've got plenty to keep me occupied <laughs> in my other media duties. So um, it's... But you know, it's it's one of the best ways because to, to talk to the fans because 
that is the one way they have to interact directly with the team, which in a sport like Formula One that goes all around the world, it's not like uh, a, a football team that's playing 20, 25 home games every season. So if you're local, you can go and see, you can experience it personally several times. In Formula One, you're lucky if a race comes to your country to start with, uh, you're lucky if you can go to you know one one race, even if you have to travel or so. So it's not a sport that has a direct point of access as easy as some of the other more like localized, if you want, sports. Uh, so the the ability to interact so much on social media, to have uh, social media accounts that actually listen to fans and interact with fans, it's massive. Is in you know, before social media, if you could imagine like talking to um, a huge cricket star or an F1 driver or uh, stars and the favorite teams, yeah. is a huge, huge thing. True. I think there was a slight glitch in the matrix just when uh, that happened, but it's great to have you back. And yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think uh, the the personalities of, you know, say a Lewis Hamilton, a Max Verstappen, etc. have just been that much more accessible, that much more built, that much more aspiring, you know, given how they've embraced the social media platforms. And, you know, I keep thinking how, how much bigger would the legend of, say, Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher have been if social media sort of, you know, existed back in, in their days. But, uh, you know, I think I need to thank you very much for a very open, honest and an educational talk, Will. Uh, you know, I've had uh, several memories with you over our time together at Force India and I'm pretty sure I'm going to see you at a race uh, very soon, hopefully. I know I missed uh, meeting you at Spa last year when you were shifting homes. But, you know, hope, hopefully we are able to catch up uh, over a cup of coffee at a race sometime soon. We should do that. We should do it very soon. Thanks so much for joining. And I will, I will be in touch with you as I've always been. Fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.